We believe you are who you say you are. We believe you are the risen Savior. And because of that, we have hope. Because of that, our lives have been changed. We confess that if we call ourselves a Christian. And so right now, as we open the word of God, would you speak through your word? Would it change our hearts? Would it make our hearts just a little more pleasing to you? As you do your work of sanctification, Lord, would you do the work? Would the word melt our hearts so that we may glorify you? Lord, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one thing I'm disappointed in that Ken did, we didn't, I didn't hear many Glorias this morning, but I think we'll hear a lot of Glorias tonight, right? We hope that the Blues win tonight and that, yeah, okay. We'll get... I gave, I gave them my nod, and now we'll get to the Bible, okay? Um, <laughs> uh, we're in John 6 this morning. John 6, Pastor and Sherry are at our denomination's uh, national uh, annual meeting this week, and so you can pray for them as they go and spend time there and whatnot. We are in John 6 this morning, and as you're turning there, it's summertime, and During summer, we do a lot of fun activities, and one of the fun activities that I grew up doing that I loved to do was going camping. How many of you enjoy going camping? Yeah, I love going camping. It's one of the greatest memories I had with my father growing up. We would go camping, and uh, we, would, we were tent campers growing up, and so you know the joys of going out and breaking your back, sleeping on hard ground, and smelling like campfire smoke, and it's, we just loved it. We loved it, and so we did that. My, we still do that. I take my dad out every once in a while, but we've moved up to a camper now because dad's getting a little older, and his back can't take that anymore, and Neither can mine, so that's okay. But uh, we enjoy that. But one time my dad and I went camping, and we, uh, my dad had an antique truck at the time. There was a car show close to where we were camping. And so I said, let's go camping for the weekend, and then we'll go put the truck in the car show. And so we did, and we had a great time. It was hotter than the blazes out every day. We were sweating. And then the last morning of the camping trip was the uh, car show. And so we went to the car show. It was a great time. Um, the first 20 minutes or so of that, we, we got our truck out there. We got it all polished up and clean. We put our Easy Up canopy up. We uh, put our lawn chairs out, all the things you do for a great day, and we were ready to go. And then about 20 minutes later, I looked at the sky, and I see these dark wall clouds coming in. And then crashes of thunder so strong you could hear, feel it in your bones. And streaks of lightning so bright it blinded you. And I looked at my dad and I said, Papa, I think we're in trouble here. And so we got into the cab of the truck. We turned the radio on. And sure enough, everyone's losing their minds on the radio because apparently a mile from us there's a tornado. And it just came out of nowhere. And so we are dealing with that. So we're out. And when a storm comes, sometimes a storm comes up really quick, doesn't it? A storm comes up, pops up quick, and you have to make decisions very quickly. So my dad and I had one of two options in this story. The first option was we could go down a hill, pretty long, steep hill, to where there was a pavilion where we could go inside and get cover, take cover from the storm. It would have protected us. Or there was the option my dad and I chose. We chose to get underneath our easy up canopy and pull the legs down underneath uh, over, over us and brace for dear life. Not a good decision. Not a good decision at all. We, uh, 
The storm comes through and literally I have my leg and my arms through the, the, the supports of the, the canopy to keep it. And mind, that's all the way down over us. Wind's blowing in, trying to blow us up and away. And we nearly didn't make it. We had cuts and bruises and clothes were torn and we were soaking wet. It wasn't a good decision. For whatever reason, we chose that option, probably ignorance, probably pride. We thought we could survive the storm on our own strength, and for those efforts, they nearly destroyed us. The point of the story is this, is when storms arise like we've had over the last few weeks, it seems like every other night we've got storms popping up, and we're taking the baby to the basement and doing all these things. When those storms arise in our life, We need to take shelter in the place that we know will protect. We need to take shelter where we know there's power to protect. This morning we're looking at a passage of scripture that's probably one of the more well-known stories of Jesus in the Bible. If If your Bible is like mine, the title of this says, Jesus Walks on Water. And we love this story, don't we? We love it. Kids love to color pictures of it. We like to we like to tell this story. Even adults, we love this story. But what I think sometimes is we miss the point of the story because of what Jesus does. Because in this story, we're going to learn the answer to this question. Where do we turn and who do we trust when storms come into our lives as we follow Jesus obediently on his mission? Let me say that again. It's a mouthful. Where do we turn And who do we trust when storms come into our lives as we follow Jesus obediently on his mission? There are three key points that I want to give you now as our railroad tracks. Here's where we're going today. I don't need to hide the story from you. Here's what's happening. You have a Bible in front of you. First, we're going to see that Jesus sends his disciples on mission. Second thing we're going to see is that as the disciples are sent on their mission, a storm arises. And the third thing we're going to see, finally, is that as the disciples are sent on their mission, and as this storm arises, it is Jesus who gives the ability to complete the mission. That's where we're going today. Let me read John 6. You'll see it on the screen. Starting in verse 16, this is what the word of the Lord says. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and, the, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. And then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Now, one could say that very truly, that this is a story of faith from beginning to end. Prior to this, Jesus has done what? He's just fed the 5,000. He's done this huge, amazing, visible act, this miracle that thousands of people saw, thousands of people experienced. I would say his visible ministry is nearly at its peak right now. And the crowds were following Jesus, but We could probably say that for many of them, they were not following him exactly for the right reasons. Jesus even says this later in John 6, 
When he says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You see, the crowd was being satisfied in the things that the giver gave rather than being satisfied in the giver himself. Jesus knows this. He also knows that he has a group of men, these disciples, that he's training, that he's teaching, and they're watching him. And the crowd even says right before this passage of Scripture that the crowd is almost to the point of seizing Jesus to make him their king. Why? Well, because he's feeding them. He's giving them what they need. But Jesus perceives this, and he struggles, and he sees that this is a problem. And so what does Jesus do? Well, it's our first point. Jesus sends his disciples on a mission. Look at verses 16 and 17. It says, when, G- when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. They got into a boat, and they started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. Now, we know that this story is not only found in John's gospel. In Matthew and Mark, we find accounts of this story as well. And we actually find out more information in Matthew and Mark's accounts than we do in John's. For example, in Mark chapter 6, verse 45, it says that Jesus compelled his disciples to get into the boat and go back across the lake. And that might seem small to you, but it's huge in this picture. You see, the word in the Greek can be translated as to compel by force. Jesus knew what the disciples needed to do, and he told them to do it. It wasn't a question. He got them out of there. He, he wasn't saying, okay, disciples, you know, if you want to hang out, that's fine, but maybe you can go over here later. No, he says, get in the boat and get over there. And so he tells them that. It was a strong command from Jesus. You see, when Jesus sins, it is clear to his followers. He compels his disciples. It's not a question of wonder It is an absolute understanding and certainty that this is where and what he is telling me to do. And many times the call of God is clear, it's direct and forceful. When I believed God was calling me to serve with my life in ministry, I knew it. I was a 16-year-old and I was in my my bedroom. I'd been praying and and I knew night after night and it was agonizing on me, this burden that God had put on me to serve him in ministry. And my heart was pierced and I surrendered. And and this is the kind of charge here that Jesus is giving his disciples. And then in Matthew, chapter 14, verses 22 and 23, Matthew's account of this story. Jesus, after compelling the disciples to get into the boat, he goes somewhere. Where does he go? He goes to the mountain away from the crowds to pray. So this is the picture we have before we get started here this morning. We have a unique picture here that we need to notice. And we have a picture of Jesus, the Savior of the world, sending his people on a mission. In this case, it was to get in the boat and get across the lake, right? But Jesus goes to the mountain to pray, to intercede, to oversee his people, his disciples, And so this picture that we have is of a God who sends his disciples on mission and prays in this place on the mountaintop of authority for his disciples. It gives the disciples a picture of a God who faithfully relates to his people. It gives a picture of a God praying for his disciples while at his direction are going to battle some storms that are coming. Friends, we can't miss this picture 
as we continue in this passage, that Jesus sends his disciples out and he knows every circumstance that they're going to face. And he is advocating and he's petitioning and he's caring for his people. What's the mission that God's called his disciples to do? The Bible clearly speaks about the disciple who follows Jesus as a sent people. S-E-N-T. Sent people. Now many times, here's how we think about our lives. We think, well, I'm a Christian. I've become a Christian. I'm supposed to remove myself from the world. And indeed, we are Christ and our lives change. He wants to make us in his likeness and there are things that perhaps that we chose to do and to live prior that perhaps we shouldn't do and we shouldn't live by now that we're Christians as he's sanctifying us. And yet, God equally calls us to go out into the world, doesn't he? He calls his disciples to do that. Are not each of us supposed to be witnesses for Jesus in this world? Then how can we be witnesses and not of this world? Turn to John 17. A few chapters later, he prays this. This is what he prays, and he tells us how. This is the high priestly prayer. If you don't know what that is, right before Jesus is betrayed, this is that, that last bittersweet sweet moment with his disciples where he's praying to God the Father for his disciples. So it's this last sending off moment. It's, this, it's, it's almost one of those moments where, uh, where parents, when you, when, you, when you dropped your kids off at college and then you got in the car and you had to drive home, there was probably tears, right? And it's like, oh, what do you want for your kids? Those last words that you say to your kids as they go off on their journey in life. This is what Jesus is praying for his disciples. And this is what he says in verses 15 through 18. Jesus prays and he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So Jesus' last prayer for his disciples is not that they would go hide, not that they would go shelter themselves from the world, but they, they would go out into the world on mission. And here's what we know from Jesus' prayer. He knows, he knows that this world is a dangerous place. He knows it's full of storms. He knows it's full of struggles. He knows it's full of sin. And the evil one desires to take them out. And yet, his prayer is that God would protect his people as they go on mission. How? Well, he says it right here. He's Jesus. Sanctify them in verse 17, he says. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So as the disciples go out, strengthen and fortify and establish them in the word of God, the word of God is key in this message today. This is how one can face the greatest storms as he or she walks the normal Christian life on mission and witness in this world be strengthened by his word. John 20, 21, just a few chapters after this, we find Jesus' commission to his disciples in John's gospel. He says, as the Father has sent me, 
even so I am sending you. And then Matthew 28, the great commission, the one we're Baptists, right? We know this. We Hopefully we know this. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And listen to this last part and remember this for later. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The truth is this, just church, the truth is this, is that those who Jesus calls, he also sends. Those who Jesus calls, he also sends. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. He said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Do we have a room full of missionaries this morning or do we have a room full of imposters this morning? You see, friends, each one of us who claim Christ has called us to repentance, to faith. He also sends us out on a mission. Missions is not simply going to Africa and living with your family in a hut, although I love that. If God calls you to that, I want to help get you there. It's not simply for the super spiritual. It's not simply for those who have been formally trained in ministry. No. Missions is realizing that we have the greatest news in the world. That God in his infinite mercy sent his only son to earth to live, to eat, to breathe incarnationally among us, right? And not only that, that only in him and the work of his finished work on the cross may we be saved and may those around us be saved that aren't. That's good news to us, right? Right? Yeah, it is. It has to be good news. Or all of this is worth nothing. What are we doing if it's not worth everything to us? Have we forgotten when Jesus touched our hearts? Do we remember that? Are there cobwebs in that emotion of our heart? Do we remember it? Man, sometimes I've felt like there's been cobwebs in mine. You see, friends, God's placed each of us here where we are. For a reason. Listen, we're about to find out that Jesus is going to walk on water to get hit to his disciples. What a God that we have. What a Savior that we have. That he's going to walk on water to get to his disciples who are in need. If we have a Savior that walks on water to get to us, something's got to stir in our hearts. Something's got to happen in our hearts to say, this is a big deal. Where has God placed you in your life? where you have influence for the sake of the kingdom. I'm not simply asking how you serve Parkway Baptist Church, what program you serve, what committee you're a part of. Those are wonderful things. We need it. But where has God placed you? That he hasn't placed me and he hasn't placed maybe anyone else in this room where you have influence for the sake of the gospel. Maybe it's your workplace here in St. Louis. If that's you, go and be a missionary. Maybe it's your home. Maybe, maybe with your children and with your family. If that's you, go and be a missionary. Perhaps it's the school or the retirement home that you live in. If that's you, go and be a missionary. Maybe it's your workplace that's a hard office to work in and a not a godly office. Go and be a missionary. Maybe you're a tradesman and you meet new clients every week. Go and be a missionary. The missionary call, the sentness of each of our lives, is not a specialized call. It's the command of our Savior. 
And our joy is to live as we are obedient to him. But here's what's going to happen. Listen, y'all, if you really embrace this, if you really embrace your sentness, storms are going to come up. Storms are going to happen. They happen to the disciples. The disciples experience a storm on their mission, don't they? Look back at John 6, verses 18 and 19. It says, The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. As sent people who are called to his mission, we sometimes act as though things are supposed to be perfect, don't we? We sometimes think, act as though we're doing God a favor by being a Christian and we're do, being, doing God a favor by, by being on mission as if he couldn't do it without us. And we should be, and then therefore he should make the road nice and easy and smooth and 70 degrees year round for us, right? We live in St. Louis, that doesn't happen. Let me ask you a question. How many of you in this room claim to know Jesus and your lives are perfect? Anyone want to, I'll get out of the way of the lightning bolt, but anyone want to actually raise their hand and say that? No. And how many of you know Christians who have a lot, who are Christians who know Christ, have a laundry list of struggles and storms and and trials that you, your family, your friends are going through right now? Anyone want to admit that? A couple of you, thanks. Listen. I'm one of your ministers. I'm I'm starting to get to know you a little bit. And here's what I know. We all have storms. As we try to follow Christ, we all have storms. Sickness has ravaged your family. You've been fired from your job and you're about to lose your home. Your marriage seems to be at its last moment. Your children are ripping your heart out day by day. That's Monday morning in the life of a minister. (laughs) And we love it. And that's what our calling is, is to serve you. But dear friends, sent people should expect sent problems. Not sent problems like you smell. That would be something different. But Jesus sends the disciples on a mission, don't they? Doesn't he? To cross back over a lake. So you expect if Jesus does the sending, that Jesus is going to make the way easy. But he doesn't, does he? No. Look at the text. It says the storm, when it says the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. Let me ask you a question. Why were the disciples in trouble in this story? Anybody know? Why were they in trouble? Because they obeyed God. Think about this. Jesus has just fed the 5,000 that miraculous thing. The crowds are going crazy. If you're a disciple of Jesus, don't you think that would have been the fun place to hang out? Man, everybody's just raving and all these things. Jesus said, go across the boat. But man, I always want to hang out with these people because man, they're just, everyone's getting excited and this, is, this seems like the good place to stay. But Jesus told them to go across the sea. Had they disobeyed Jesus, it might have felt okay, but they would have disobeyed Jesus. But they obeyed Jesus And now they've got a storm. Interesting, isn't it? 
For those of us who have been called by him to repentance and faith, God is sending every one of us on his mission. But he doesn't promise that that mission is going to be easy, Parkway Baptist Church. He doesn't promise that our lives are going to get easier. In fact, the scriptures say something completely different. The scriptures speak a lot about things getting harder as we follow Jesus with our lives on this earth. 1 Peter 4.12, a great example of this. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. There's a great book on this subject they go through 1 Peter. It's called Evangelism as Exiles by a guy named Elliot Clark. Excellent research, uh, uh, work on this. Evangelism as Exiles by Elliot Clark. 1 Peter 4.12 says, don't be surprised. Listen, church family, when you gave your life to Christ, do you realize it was to cost you something? You relinquished your rights. You said, Jesus, you've got a better way than I can figure out a way on my own. But those promises of Jesus are glorious, and they, but they also include the promise that life here and now may not be easy. But that's why we need Jesus. That's the point of this story. That's why we have to have Jesus. And that's also why we have to have the church. Don't let anyone tell you you can be a Christian and not be a part of a community of believers for support, for love, for encouragement, for prayer. You have to have it. Jesus didn't separate it and neither can we. Allowing the word to change us, encouraging one another in the faith as we all have storms to go through on this unified mission for the sake of the kingdom together. You see, friends, our mission begins when we are at our end. Our mission begins when we are at our end. Matthew's account of this story in Matthew 14, verse 25, it says that Jesus came to these men in the fourth watch of the night. If you don't know what that means, the fourth watch of the night is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. The darkest part of the night. Times I've been up with baby Henry sometimes. <laughs> it's dark at that time of the morning. But think about the disciples. They've been fighting this storm all night. They're exhausted. They're miserable. They're at their end. And now it's the darkest part of the night. And they're wondering, are we going to survive this? And then we read what? Jesus comes walking on the sea. It was, at the, the, it was at the point of their end that Jesus came. We like to do things in our own power and our own wisdom, don't we? Man, has that gotten me in trouble before? I bet it's got you in trouble as well. We like to be in control. But Jesus, on the other hand, wants to us to be completely reliant upon him. Those things don't correlate too well sometimes. You see, Jesus is asking for us to turn over our entire life to him and to trust him, and not just in the obedient steps of mission, but when the storms arise in our life, that we will trust him with all that we are. We will know that he is there. We know that he is real, even if it feels like he's not, that we'll know that he is there. But notice this, Jesus comes walking toward them on the water, and this should be a breath of fresh air for them, right? Wow, they're, they're struggling, but now Jesus is coming. And what does it say? What is their reaction? They're frightened. They've just seen this man feed thousands of people with literally nothing. 
And they see him coming. They should be having a party while the storm's going on. But they're frightened by him. Has to do with their hearts. They were not expecting Jesus to come in the way he did to save them. They were rowing and rowing and rowing, trying to accomplish the mission that God had called them to do in their own strength. And they were at their end. So when he shows up, in their hearts, which are full of sin, as yours and mine are, they were afraid rather than rejoicing. Sometimes Jesus is trying to help us in the storm when we're trying to follow him, but we can reject it for whatever reason. Perhaps it's not the way we thought things would go. Perhaps you've been in that situation where you feel like, I'm trusting God, I'm trying to follow him with my life, and now the tornado's coming and it's trying to wipe me out. And you just want to get mad about it, don't you? If that's you, you're in good company. You're in company with the disciples. That's okay. Jesus knows you're trying to live in faith. Jesus knows that you're trying to walk in his mission, glorifying him. We've got to remember that he is aware of every storm in your life. And he wants you to turn to him for the ability to complete the mission. Remember the Great Commission. Behold, I am with you always. He is with you always. So Jesus gives the disciples the ability to complete the mission. Look at verses 20 and 21. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. What changed at the end of this story for the disciples? It's the word of the Lord, isn't it? It's the word of the Lord. Jesus comes and they're frightened and he says, he doesn't say, it's okay, it's okay, don't worry, don't worry. He says, it is I. Then he says, don't be afraid. The first thing he says to them is, it is I. This comforting, calming voice they had heard before. They knew the voice of the Lord. They journeyed with this man. Just the night before, they had seen Jesus feed thousands of people and care for people. They knew this voice. So when they heard the word of the Lord, everything changed. They knew it could be trusted. Because notice the storm's not yet done. The first thing out of Jesus' mouth wasn't, don't be afraid, it was, it is I. So the disciples, they take him into the boat. And it says immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. How does this happen? Well, in Matthew's account, it says the, the winds immediately ceased. Here's what I know on this story. The disciples were on a mission given by Jesus a storm arises that they cannot handle on their own. And when they were at the end of themselves, Jesus came, he comforted, and he said, it is I, and saw the mission completed. Church, sometimes we just want to take, want Jesus to take all the storms away in our life, don't we? We think if all the storms would go away in our life, things would be better. Sometimes through his grace, storms are calmed in our lives. And sometimes through his grace, there's a storm and he knows it's brewing and he sends us right into it. But he never leaves us. 
He never forsakes us. Because here's my point this morning. Jesus didn't come to take the storms away in your life. He came to see us through the storms as we walk in his kingdom mission together. The point isn't that Jesus would make the wind stop. It's that he got in the boat with the disciples. And it was because of him that their mission to the other side was successful. The hours of toil and work and spinning their wheels. As soon as Jesus is invited in the boat, he accomplished the mission. Now, for the Christ follower, there's no mission that God will call you to. No storm during that mission where every need will not be supplied to you. It may not come in your timing. It may not come in your way. It may look totally different than you thought it was going to. He's on that mountaintop and he's watching and he's praying and he knows and he's with you right now. Because ultimately, he will supply himself, which is all you need in the first place. Luke 12, 7 says, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a flock of sparrows. That feels good, right? You're This morning, I can tell you, you're more valuable to God than some sparrows. Amen. And then in John chapter 16, verse 33, he says this. And listen to these words. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Dear friends, If you're going to live as a normal Christian and live on mission, you will have trouble. You will have tribulation. You will have storms. But Jesus has overcome every storm that you will face. The day was May 1st and 2nd, 2018, some 13 months ago. Leslie and I were already on a plane flying out of St. Louis, heading to Los Angeles, California. And so we're flying to Los Angeles because a few months prior, a, 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 a woman was going to give birth and decided she would like us to adopt her son. So we're flying out for that birth. Now, Leslie and I have always been in our marriage a couple who have tried to live by faith. We've taken some giant leaps of faith In many ways, trusting God to provide for us, trusting that God would would come through, not that we're superheroes because we're not (laughs) at all. (laughs) So we fly out to Los Angeles. We meet the birth mother that night and then get to the hospital. The induction is set to take place the next morning at 9 a.m. So we get to the hospital. We're a little excited and um, we're there and we're in the waiting room of labor and delivery. And we know the next time they come out to talk to us, they're going to be taking us back so that we may meet our son. Oh, what a glorious, exciting, nerve-wracking time that was. So hours go by and they come out. They don't take us back. As the birth mother had the right to do, she chose to keep her baby. And that's her right. 
and we bless her in that. But shock and devastation to us was crushing. The feeling that someone has just sliced your heart out and put it on the table and diced it in about 300 pieces, that's, that's what we felt. <laughs> just when we thought our storm was ending, it stirred up again, and it was as strong as ever. It's hard to swallow. It doesn't describe those moments. I'm watching my wife, and she can't even talk, much less cry. She's in such shock. I, I mutter some words out to our, our agency worker. I said, what, 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 do we, what, do we, what do we do now? And she looks at me so tenderhearted, and she says, you go home, Matthew. You go home. So we went back to the hotel. We called grandparents. Those weren't fun calls. Eagerly waiting to hear about the birth of their grandchild. A few days later, we're back in St. Louis. We walk into a house with a newly, nicely appointed nursery with no baby to put in it. And I looked at my wife and I said, we're getting out of town. I took my parents' camper and we went camping. There you go. Come all the way back. To the same place, those storms hit my dad and I years and years and years ago. Went to the same place. And we set out for a week, got a lot of vitamin D that week. We needed that. We read and we journaled and we prayed. And in fact, that was about this, this time last year. We sat at the throne of the Lord and we cried to him, why, God, why? We, we're, we're trying to faithfully follow you. We're living on faith in so many different ways right now. And, 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 and why, after all these years of, of trying, of, of, of fertility issues and, 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 and foster care and, 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 and all these things, and now we're, we're trying to do it, then this is what happens. Why? And amongst tears, the Lord kept leading me back to the same passage of Scripture. Like literally the first day I got, we got down there, I, my Bible opened, and opened to this, and it never went anywhere else. And that was Romans chapter 8. I won't read all of that to you. I was reading it over and over again, but three verses. Paul writes in Romans 8, 18, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's really hard to choke. But it's true when you're going through the storm. Romans 8, 26, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. I didn't know what to pray. You ever been there? It's, it's just like you're like, I don't know what to pray now. I didn't. I knew the right things to say, but I also knew the condition of my heart. But the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, praise the Lord. And then Romans 8, 28, a verse we know, probably memorize. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, let me tell you, last year I didn't want to believe that. I hope that doesn't frighten you. I didn't want to believe it. I believe it, but I didn't want to. It's hard when the storms come in your life and they gut you. But we know 
that for those who love God, all things work together for good. God's definition of good is much better than mine. For those who are called according to his purpose. Now, that storm, that example you've heard in our lives, obviously, several months later, we see why. And the, the little boy that's in our life now, I wouldn't trade for anything. But I wouldn't trade a year ago either. Because God knew what he was doing. And he had this planned out before the beginning, the foundation of the world. So that he might receive glory. So that Matthew and Leslie might turn to him. Because we were at our end in that subject. We had no words. What else are we supposed to do? The truth of the matter is this, is whatever your struggle you're going through, I know some of you struggle with that subject in this room right now. I'm praying for you. I love you. I know how hard it is. But you have storms going all around you. I cannot imagine not having Jesus and facing those storms. And so as we wrap up here this morning, let me invite you to this. If you're not a believer, not a follower of Jesus, not someone who has turned their life to Christ, today is the day. Listen, the endless absent Fridays will wait. They're right down the road. You give your life to Christ today because he is the only way that you're going to make it through stuff like that and not ravage your marriage, not ravage your life. He's the only way. In a moment, we'll be down here. If, if, if you have questions, you want to counsel, we want to counsel with you today. But also know that there's a lot of you in this room that do know Jesus. And I know that you're facing some hard storms. The, these steps over here and over here in this area are yours. If you need me to pray over you, come in a moment and we will pray over you. If you just need to come with your family and pray, Listen again, Fridays will be there. This is time to come to the Lord. And so if you've got a storm in your life, if you just want to pray as an individual, as a family, come to these steps in a moment. You'll have the freedom to do so. I've asked Ken to sing a song. It's different than what's in the uh, bulletin this morning. Where is Ken? Is he in here? There he is. Come on up, man. That's Ken to sing a song, one of my favorite hymns, because I, I, I just believe it's appropriate for this time. It's entitled, Be Thou My Vision. And I will tell you, when you're going through storms in life, you've got to have the right vision, and you've got to be focused on Christ. Let me pray, let me pray for us. Dear Jesus, we love you. We're so grateful for you today. Lord, as we come to you now, would you stir in our hearts? Would you let us know, God, what is it that you would have for our hearts and our mission? Would you, would you put our trust wholly in you when the storms arise in our life? Would you be our vision? Would you be our guide? Would you be our all? And if there's a decision that needs to be made, Lord, I pray that it would happen today and not tarry any longer. Jesus, we love you. 
We pray this in your name. Amen.